we ran it on QI a few years ago. Yeah. Um, which was, there's no such thing as a fish. Yeah, there's no such thing as a fish. No, seriously, it's in the Oxford Dictionary of Underwater Life. It says it right there, first paragraph, no such thing as a fish. <laughs> And welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly QI podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Dan Schreiber. I'm sitting here with three other L's, James Harkin, Alex Bell, and Anna Chazinski. And once again, we're gathering around our microphone and we're going to share with each other our favorite facts from the last seven days. So in no particular order, here they are. Alex, let's start with you. Okay, my fact is that one of the last things that NASA had to do before launching space shuttles was detach their inflatable owls. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, why would they have inflatable owls on their space shuttles? Basically, um, this was at um, Cape Kennedy, and uh, they had a bit of a wildlife problem there, just generally, uh, because uh, the launch pad is actually in the middle of a nature reserve. Right. Um, so one of the problems they had was with woodpeckers. Um, on the, the fuel, uh, big fuel tanks on the side of the space shuttle, they're sort of bright orange and they're covered in foam insulation which is quite delicate and they had this problem with woodpeckers that were just coming up and pecking holes in them and they have no idea why they were doing this <laughs> so didn't they didn't they actually have to cancel a shuttle launch in yeah. order to because too much damage was done to yeah. one uh, discovery i think was one of the ones right. that was delayed by quite a lot and then cancelled and rescheduled and things um so they, they did several things firstly they used sound blasters which i think were some sort of sound thing to scare away woodpeckers. They also apparently had a 24-hour um, bird-watching contingent on the run-up to the launch to like keep an eye out. But that's, <laughs> yeah, I, I read that um, there were people, members of the public, when they'd heard about this, riding in with their own suggestions, sort of like <laughs> amateur scientists. Yeah, yeah, there's great suggestions. One of them was to paint the tanks blue, a colour woodpeckers hate. What? <laughs> yeah. uh, station falcons at the pads, so acting, yeah, yeah. effectively, falcons would chase them off. Um, Boil skunk cabbage and spray water on the tanks. <laughs> what skunk cabbage? I have no idea. This is just if woodpeckers hate blue, do they like sunny days are just a nightmare? For well, they're them. not trying to peck the sky, presumably. <laughs> oh, they just don't like the taste of blue. Like, like, <laughs> <laughs> um, I just say I'm not allowed to let my dog off the lead in a nature reserve, and NASA can build like an entire space station in the middle of one. It seems like not a good place to put it. Well, I think yeah, there was did cause some issues. There were some other problems as well. I've got an article from a newspaper from 1983 that's um, headlined "NASA must cope with wild pigs." There's a quote from it saying that. Um, the, the space centre officials say they routinely check runways for pigs and alligators before any aircraft is clear to land. I don't think that's space shuttles, but that's... Um, yeah, alligators yeah. supposedly yeah. always lounging out because it's a nice heated pad yeah. for the landing yeah. strip. Yeah. Also, it's not a great place for pigs to be living where alligators live as well. <laughs> <isn't> Imagine <laughs> the, the kind of CCTV footage they must have of epic battles on the runways where yeah. shuttles are coming in between an alligator and a pig. There's the, there's the one of the bats. Have you seen that one? With one of the, when one of the shuttles launched and the, you can see a little bat that was obviously sleeping on the shuttle and obviously woke up when his home took off yeah. <laughs> in the flames and, and NASA had to say we're really sorry but he probably died and everyone wow. was really upset oh. but I was, sorry go on no no just uh, on, the, on the pig thing NASA actually hired a pig trapper I'm reading this article can you imagine kind of going into someone saying yeah I work for NASA what do you do yeah I trap their pigs yeah I'm the pig trapper yeah. for NASA <laughs> yeah. <coughs> huh. okay. 
Um, speaking of pigs, this is almost unrelated, but did you know in medieval times in England, pigs were a bigger pest than rats in London and feral pigs were all over London? The, <laughs> the government offered rewards if you could kill a pig and bring them evidence that you'd kill the feral pig. Uh, they'd just be in your cupboards eating your cereal. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Pooing all over the kitchen <laughs> floor. <laughs> so we haven't said, so the reason they had owls, inflatable owls, is because of these woodpeckers and that was the solution to yeah. put these owls. So these, these, they, they were basically just spherical, like spherical balloons with owl eyes and sort of like a like an evil eyebrow painted on the top to look like an owl i'll put some pictures up on the website um but they're cool they were called uh, i think like te- owl terror eyes and i think you can you can buy them now as well they, they just sort of festooned them over the the, the structure of the space shuttle like halloween decorations because they did Sorry. they did have owls that were living on the crane that was attached to the space shuttle um i don't know if there's a theory that during that period, that's why there were no woodpeckers there because there was owls living mm. there. But they got into a lot of trouble with the RSPCA and other uh, wildlife foundations because when they did take <laughs> off this one time, they blasted these owls. And- <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's terrible. But what's interesting is that NASA has actually been talked into taking it quite seriously and looking after the animals. Uh, so they actively do do that. So if they're going to retrieve any of the booster rockets that land in the Banana River, which has apparently the largest uh, refuge of manatees uh, in, in oh, America, yeah. they now use water jets as opposed to propellers so that they don't kill any of the wildlife. Oh, really? So they've changed the system for that. Um, this is an interesting one. They used to have blinding lights uh, that shined when they were on the launch pads. That The turtles that were going into the sea... Um, loghead sea turtles, they would see the light as opposed to the moonshine. And the moonshine would usually direct them to the ocean, but they would see the launch pad lights oh. and they would head towards the launch pad lights and okay. die on the way because they'd never reach the ocean. So they've changed their lights to be less disorientating bulbs. Good for NASA. Yeah. <laughs> so I like um, lo-fi things that they do, uh, that astronauts do, like um, the, they use taco sauce to secure debris on the ISS and um, they're inside the space suits. They have a little bit of um, um, they have a little bit of Velcro that they use to itch their nose with because they can't itch their nose and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, NASA's very good. Like the owls is a good example of just a continuing tradition of highly inventive solutions. Yeah. What was the one that you initially, Alex? You had a fact that you wanted to use. So uh, I think this has been doing the rounds on the internet recently, apparently. But um, I was watching a really old documentary about. Um, uh, various aspects of uh, the early space program, and apparently um, in the men's spacesuits, um, there's a sort of condom-like sheath that the astronauts have to wear so that they can go to the loo in the suits. Um, and they came in three sizes, which was small, medium, and large. But all the astronauts were just picking large, and they refused to go for the other ones. So NASA decided to change the names to uh, large, gigantic, and humongous. I think. <laughs> it's true. I, ch- I found this out, um, uh, which I really like. Charlie Duke, who was on Apollo 16, he had such a problem with swearing that he had to be hypnotized before heading into space so that he wouldn't swear once he was on the moon. So when they were doing live broadcasts... Well, are you not allowed moon? to swear on the moon? Well, or? no, I think because we were being... You know, oh, we were you hearing know, everything yeah, he was saying. Yeah. yeah, so he was told not to swear, and um, it led, as a result, he sings a lot on the moon because that was the compensation in the hypnosis. He got suddenly... Oh, really? Oh, really? A singer. Every time he was going to swear, he just belted out my way or something yeah, like that. Yeah. <laughs> there was that guy, I can't remember which astronaut it was, I bet one of you guys remembers, who smug got told off really badly for smuggling a sandwich into space. I think it was yeah. a corned beef sandwich, wasn't it? And I yeah, can't remember who yeah. it was in the 1960s. Yes, but then weirdly, uh, when Buzz and Neil Armstrong landed on the moon, their first meal was a ham salad sandwich. 
Yeah. Oh yeah. And we know that Buzz um, smuggles some stuff up to the moon, don't he we? Did yeah yeah. He he smuggled up some um, wine and some holy bread, yeah. which had yeah. been blessed by a priest. Yeah, to do the yeah. first ever communion. Yeah. Isn't that incredible? You could sneak. Yeah, it really is. Onto... It makes me question NASA whether we can put NASA in charge of outer space missions but if they can't then, even body search someone properly. For, for, <laughs> uh, Apollo twelve, you get a checklist, which are these kind of flipboards that you get on on board the ship. Um, some of the prankster kind of employees for NASA, some of the engineers, snuck on Playboy photos in between <laughs> the checklist. So yeah, and yeah we'll they... put we'll put a photo up on uh, qi dot com slash podcast. It's uh, of it's, naked, oh, naked ladies. Yeah. It's, what? No, it's, 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 yeah. it's history, James. Yeah. You're good. really trying to get people onto our website. Aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> Come to qi.com slash podcast. You can see naked ladies. Boobs from outer space. <laughs> Time for fact number two. This one's mine. Um, so we all know the um, the famous uh, advert that comes on at the beginning of DVDs. That sort of yeah, anti piracy. Like, you wouldn't steal a car. Dun, 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 you wouldn't steal dun, dun, a handbag. That one. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, it turns out that the music used in that anti piracy advert was stolen. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So <laughs> the, the advert, the advert that's telling you right at the end. What's it say, Alex? It says. Piracy is a crime. I think piracy is stealing. Yeah. Piracy is stealing, yeah. And so, and so is stealing. And so is stealing. Yeah. That's definitely stealing. Stealing is a crime. Um, it was officially, I mean, it was commissioned for an anti-piracy ad, but it was meant to be used just at a small film festival where they were sort of showcasing this thing. So the guy who created it, uh, whose name is Melchior Reitvelt, um, he wrote this music. He got given basic money for it to be used at this local film festival. And then in 2007, he bought a Harry Potter DVD, <laughs> the top was this advert with his music. And so, and so since 2007, <laughs> all the way to 2012, he's been trying to say, could I have the money, please? Because he was owed millions, I mean, for the amount yeah. of use. Wow. Of yeah, and so so finally, uh, the company that was using it called him up, a guy called Mr. Goretz, and he said that he would pay him out for 1 million euros, but that Mr. Goretz would get to keep one-third of that money for all the hard work and trouble that he'd gone through to get him that one million euros. So anyway, he recorded that conversation, he played it, Mr. Garrett's got fired, and um, he's been compensated <laughs> since. Wow. It's pretty appalling that they did that, though. And it's, then, it's not uh, great. I know it will get us out of this mess. Yeah. An old-fashioned bride. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what? Did you guys know that Harley Davidson tried to trademark the sound of its revs? What? No. Yep. Those three revs, apparently, I don't really know much about motorbikes, um, but apparently the three revs at the start uh, sound like, I think this is on the Harley Davidson web- website, sound like potato, potato, potato. And fair enough, loads of other motorbike manufacturers said, I'm really sorry, our revs sound really similar. Um, you can't do this. And they didn't. Um, as the copyrighted slapping your ass. Really? Uh, yeah, they did, yeah. Does it- you know, it goes, that advert where you go, do, 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 do. Then they go, that's Asda Price. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Is it just yeah. your own ass or anyone's? Like, is it, they've copyrighted a sexual advance, basically. Yeah. If... <laughs> <laughs> basically, the way these things work is it's only in, in the specific area if you're trying to pass off as their kind of thing. So um, Aldi or Waitrose couldn't do an ass-slapping kind of advert because they copyrighted it for that. There was also um, someone um, copyrighted um, touching the side of your nose as if to indicate knowledge, and also tipping a bowler hat. And they're both registered by building societies. Wow. Really? I think it's a re- we're living in a really interesting time when it comes to copyright and 
piracy and so on, because we don't quite yet know if it works for or against the people who either make or sell or yeah. whatever. Like, for example, mm-hmm. Monty Python decided they were going to put up a bunch of clips on YouTube from their old Monty Python Flying Circus series. And actually, it had the reverse effect of what you would think. In, in the Amazon charts, they went up to number two, and the sales increased by an estimated 16,000 to 23,000% yeah. on Amazon alone. And that's that worked in their favor, whereas everyone would encourage you not to do that because... Yeah. So it's it's really odd. It's you you don't know if it's if it works for or against. Well, the guys at Netflix they look into um, what people are pirating, and then they decide what to buy depending on what people are pirating. Really yeah. sensible. That's very sensible. Yeah, yeah. I like yeah. with um, video games. Um, they have a different approach to anti piracy. They actually embed within their games protection. Uh, things so that you oh, can yeah. continue playing the game but you know that you've got a stolen item for example there's a game called michael jackson the experience which is on ds um and the idea is that once the game realizes that you've got a pirated version of it it halts it and it just plays vuvuzela music all over it so it's just wow. like <laughs> that so it's just a wow. constant loop that's pretty clever that it yeah, can do yeah. That. Well, it's incre- no there's a batman game as well which when it knows that you've got a pirated copy batman like, comes in kicks <laughs> your ass. physically comes through the door no his cape will refuse to open uh preventing <laughs> players from gliding and gliding is a massive part of the game so you can only get so far without being to do anything talking about uh similar things to that um, in the early days of cinema, they had silent cinema, and people would pirate films um, basically by just taking an entire film, cutting in a bit of new material, and re- releasing it as a new picture. And um, there was a company called the Biograph Company, and what they did was they made sure that their trademark was in every single shot. So it would be on a door or on a wall or on a window <laughs> or on a T-shirt or something like that, so that every time someone did that, they would just see their trademark all the way through the movie. Yeah, yeah, that's very good. They, um, the uh, Years ago on Museum of Curiosity, we had Terry Pratchett on. Oh, yeah. He told us this thing about in Germany, in the German translated versions of his That's books. brilliant. He said someone would write to him from Germany saying, do you know that they've placed adverts in your book? And so Terry was fine because he was like, well, you know, in, the, in America back in the day, that's what they would do. There would be just an advert, a full page advert for a cigarette company or something like that. And you just continue reading. So he was fine with it. And so he said, no, that's cool. But the person wrote back saying, no, no, no. They've inserted the ad into the dialogue amongst the characters. <laughs> so while the characters from his Discworld novels are running around, they would suddenly stop because they were quite parched and crack open a Coca-Cola <laughs> while they were being chased or open some magi two-minute noodles and make some two-minute noodles before carrying on with what Terry Pratchett had written. But so they, uh, apparently this wasn't just Terry Pratchett books. This was a lot of books in Germany and Pratchett wrote to them and he's had this stopped now. But yeah. That's so good. Yeah. They also, I like, um, because it reminded me that in China, uh, there's a lot of a similar thing where they take existing text or you know footage but in this case text so with harry potter books because of the distance of time between each of the sequels people just started writing their own harry potter books and publishing in china yeah i've got i've got a list uh harry potter and the big funnel (laughs) (laughs) this is great i'll give you this was the blurb that came on the book yeah yeah yeah. no no they were all they were all trying to pass themselves off as genuine books um (laughs) this is the blurb After six years at Hogwarts, Harry Potter has become an intern sorcerer and is assigned to teach at the Honiton School. Harry has a painful time at his aunt's house as Dudley has met a belly dancing girl. As Harry prepares to report to his job, Batbug warns him, disaster awaits. (laughs) Exciting new character, Batbug. 
At the school, his students become wooden stools, one after another. Harry doesn't know whether an evil student is behind this, or if his old benefactor, Hagrid, is making a mistake, or if the shadow of Voldemort has returned, or did it have something to do with the big funnel? Leaving <laughs> 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 it open with all this, all this. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's the big funnel. I, re- I reckon it had something to do with a big funnel. Yeah. Although, <laughs> I'm going to guess. why the title. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the French version of Harry Potter, the book, um, because Lord Voldemort's name, his full name, Tom Marvolo Riddle, has to be an anagram of I am Lord Voldemort, yeah. and so it doesn't work in all, in all different countries, so they have to change his name, and in France, his middle name is Elvis. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, that's a great fact. Do you know what I think that I think the Chinese are doing with the, with the Harry Potter thing? This is just, coincidentally, I was reading a bit of an interview yesterday with this woman who decided to translate Finnegan's Wake, oh, yeah. which is like James Joyce's uh, more dense than Ulysses' work, and she's taken, I think, seven years to translate the first third of it into Mandarin. And it's been quite a bestseller in China and they love it. But there's a little clip of her saying, I don't, this is so hard. Please stop pressuring me. I just don't know if I can write the rest of it. I don't know if I can translate the rest right now. So the Chinese are used to having, what, we've got a third of Finnegan's Wake. We love it. When's the next installment? <laughs> Okay, time to move on to fact number three, which is yours, James. Okay, yeah, my fact is that according to the um, government's website of the Czech Republic, um, there are three symbols of Easter in the Czech Republic. They are Easter eggs, the Easter lamb, and whipping. (laughs) As in... Which, 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 yeah. I really yeah. want to do that on a podcast. Sorry. <laughs> um, no, so this is a tradition that is, happens every Easter Monday in the Czech Republic. And boys, young lads, would go around um, whipping uh, young maids so that they are healthy and cheerful for the entire year to come. And the girls, for as a reward for being whipped, they give their boys uh, decorated Easter eggs called kraslitsi. Because they're so grateful. For being whipped, yeah. Cool. Apparently, anyone visiting the country is a bit concerned when they see it because one of the things they like to do uh, is to chase mm-hmm. the women That's right. around with these whips uh, <laughs> while they run away. Um, apparently, everyone loves it. So it's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> these whips, they're like very beautiful, uh, st- like pieces of willow with ribbons on. So they're not like a, you know, it's not like a leather yeah. cat of nine tails kind of thing. <laughs> But yeah, I I really love that. Um, just I like to look at traditions that are going on around the world. There's loads of really cool stuff happening around Easter because often, as well as it being like a Catholic feast, it was traditionally uh, like a, a pagan time of year. You know, it's the it's a rebirth of things. So there's all sorts going on. Apparently in Norway, I was reading this. I don't know if this is true, but um, most of the major television stations over Easter show murder mystery shows, and that's all they show because it's become a tradition that you watch murder mysteries in Norway. Oh, over really? Easter. Okay. And in the Philippines, some Christians will, um, because they want to associate themselves with Jesus, they will um, crucify themselves. They'll nail themselves onto a cross and be fr- self and be flagellated and. Uh, very painful, but there's a lot of people around so that they don't... You know. Not through, they nail themselves through the hands? Yep. Right. Mental. So here's another thing about whipping. Yeah. Uh, do you know about these guys called flagellants uh, for the Black Death? Um, they would whip themselves... They would go to towns where they were str- uh, struggling with a plague and uh, they would whip themselves for a fee to bring God's favour onto a community. Hmm. And the idea was they would, um, like, 
hurt themselves and that would somehow um, get God's favour and he would get rid of the plague. It's a nice idea. Yeah, that's nice. nice. paid for yeah. it. Was that big? Because I, I, the only reference point I have to that is the Da Vinci Code, where the evil guy in that whips himself consistently. Oh, it's the same, yeah. It's yeah, the same flagellation, yeah. yeah. Um, and, but at the same time, apparently, there was another group called the Pseudo-Flagellants, and they also went around Europe, and they would also get money. Uh, but instead of hitting themselves with whips, they performed, performed unusual sexual acts in public. And it doesn't explain what unusual sexual acts are. Hmm. But, but you just know it's more fun than whipping yourself. Yeah, you? it is more fun. And also, it's hard to imagine God would be looking down at this and going, yeah, those are the guys. Those are the guys <laughs> well done, gonna- lads. I like weird, um, weird traditions. I guess our traditions must look weird to uh, to outsiders as yeah. well. But um, in Garvel, you'll probably know this, James, which I think is got. I think is in Sweden. Um, they've had this tradition since 1966, where the um, a town council built a 13 meter tall goat figure to celebrate Christmas, made of straw, um, and vandals burned it down on Christmas Eve, and now it's become tradition. So the council is pretty pissed off about that. Didn't want vandals to do this, um, but now it's become tradition. They've maintained this 13 uh, meter tall figure. And almost every year, vandals keep burning it down. And there's this constant like tug of war in this little town, the Christmas tradition. The burning of the Garvel goat happens. And I think it's happened 26 times since 1966. And since the 1980s, an English bookmaker um, allows you to place bets on the goat's survival. Oh, Which yeah. you like to bet, James. I can imagine uh, that you should do that. Um, they should stop building it out of straw, maybe? Something less flammable? If they really yeah, not so smart. Yeah. Um, I was, uh, I was, when I was looking into the whipping... Oh, yeah. I suddenly realized I didn't know much about whipping and I, I wanted to find out more. And um, <laughs> I, this was a surprising thing. Uh, I read about a guy who I'd not heard from in history called Whipping Tom. Has anyone heard of Whipping Tom? No, it sounds no. familiar, but no. Okay, it was an attacker in London, uh, lived near Hackney, um, who would uh, attack women uh, walking in the street. He never he never did anything to the point of actually killing any of them, but he was just uh he was just whipping them. He would he would uh, approach them, unaccompanied women in alleys and courtyards, and he would just spank them on the butt with his whip <laughs> and then get sued and then by flee. Asta. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No, and he'd flee. Uh, my favorite thing about it is they did eventually capture the person and then there was a copycat whipping Tom who appeared a few years later, but the description of him and I know it's, you know, obviously this was distressing women but you know it's 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 it the 1600s we can laugh about it <laughs> uh, he would he would see uh he would wait in narrow and dimly lit alleys and courtyards and upon seeing unaccompanied women he would grab them lift their dress and slap their buttocks repeatedly before fleeing he would sometimes accompany his attacks by shouting spanko <laughs> <laughs> He sounds like a superhero. He sounds like Toro. <laughs> <Yeah>. Spango man. <laughs> so yeah, in Czechoslovakia, he would have been a superhero. That would have been a really good thing for him to be doing, right? Because the ladies love it there. Yeah, they would have been like, where's, where's Spanko? <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, time for our final fact of the show. Uh, Anna, this one's yours. Yeah, um, so my fact is that at Earl's Court Tube Station in 1911, a one-legged man was employed to ride the escalator. Ah, this is Bumper Harris, isn't this it? This is Bumper Harris, yeah. yeah. 
Um, and he was employed to ride the escalator. It was the first escalator that had been installed on the London Underground. And do you know, like people were always really scared of new inventions, so commonplace they seem to us. And so he was employed by the um, Department of Transport to ride up and down the escalator and show people that it was safe. And I think the idea was like, even a one-legged man can get up and down this safely. So you're probably going to be fine, guys. Did he? Was he one-legged, or did he have um, a prosthetic? I think on? he had a prosthetic leg. Okay. Um, although weirdly in the first week that the um, escalator was installed nine dresses were torn one finger was pinched and one lame passenger fell off his crutch so apparently not that suitable well they weren't they weren't as um, in their early days escalators weren't as uh, for example there wasn't a side handrail that you could hold that would go down with you and so on so there were there were a lot of they were a lot more harsh (laughs) wasn't the first escalation in the UK at Harrods yeah that's right they used to have someone standing at the top with a bottle of brandy to give people all the shots to calm down brandy and smelling ordeal really yeah Yeah. 1920s they had a system in uh, they designed a system for Atlanta um, and they had walkways that would go at six miles an hour it's not that fast but it's kind of fast you know uh, and the idea was that you would have a walkway that went at six miles an hour, and then next to that you would have one at four miles an hour, so you would only have a two, two miles an hour jump to go from one to the other. Next to that would be a, a moving walkway of two miles an hour, and next to that would be a moving walkway which didn't move. That's sensible. Kind of a walkway. (laughs) (laughs) But that that never um, took off because uh, basically cars came in around the same time and so they didn't need them anymore. I think they installed a similar system, though, in Paris. I find it weird how long it took them, by the way, to put stairs on escalators because for like 20 years they had um, travelators, which were just slopes upwards. Mm. But anyway, I think they had what you're describing in Paris. Um, They had, it was uh, about a mile long, I think, in 1900. um, And it was two moving walkways going at different paces. And anyway, Thomas Edison turned up there. So he seemed to be everywhere around (laughs) this time doing his thing. And he was really (laughs) impressed with it. And he decided to film it and the footage. So I watched the footage of him filming this walkway in Paris and everyone's really excited by it because it's a new innovation and there's a moment in the footage and I'll put it on the website page where a man just appears from the crowd and punches a boy in the face <laughs> what I'll put it on the website does he shout spanko when he's it's so weird before the Earl's Court um, the first escalator at Earl's Court I didn't realise that they had they installed this spiral escalator in the 1880s or spiral elevator I think they called it at the time and it was really just meant to be like a scenic ride um, and so it was meant to simulate being in France in the middle of the mountains and so you went up this spiral which was I can't remember how many meters high but pretty high went up and up and then you were surrounded by these um, vistas panoramas of beautiful mountains where was that Earl's Court oh was it yeah okay because the first ever escalator was in Coney Island and that was also um, an amusement rather than anything else it was just a a ride but um, there was 75,000 people rode it in the first two weeks this amazing ride of standing on an escalator. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was I was reading into just I got I got interested in other sort of debuts at uh, with the underground. Oh yeah, just to see if there are any notable written about stories. And um, there's a great one for the opening of the Circle Line, which was in 1884. Yeah, and this was the review from the Times newspaper, uh, which said a form of mild torture which no person would undergo if he could conveniently help it. <laughs> so, uh, first ever review for... Fair. When the tube first opened, um, there was a guy who'd spent a lot of time in Kenya uh, rode on it, and he described the smell as being like a crocodile's breath. Oh. Yeah. 
That's a terrible smell. Well, presumably, I don't know. It's kind of nice for people to experience. You were never going to meet a crocodile in real life. Yeah. Um, you just go on the Turn tube into instead. a positive, yeah. yeah. Crocodile's breath after it's just eaten a pig. Yeah. <laughs> I like so how frightened people are of new inventions and always have been in history and how totally mental it seems to us now. Like the obvious fear everyone had of trains, didn't they? Um, that so I think when Stevenson was trying to like encourage investment in his whole railway idea um, then the parliament a lot of MPs were really really against it and it was thought that he so he intended for trains to be going between 12 and 15 miles an hour and he was advised beforehand definitely not to claim in the House of Commons that they would go above nine because that would yeah. totally free people out <laughs> um, and then one of the so one of the MPs asks asks him in parliament suppose one of these engines to be going along at a rate of nine or ten miles an hour and a cow were to stray upon the line, would that not be a very awkward circumstance? <laughs> and he just, he just said, yes, very awkward for the cow. And that was it. Yeah, good, good that reply. is a good line. <laughs> good reply. I also like, um, this. sorry, this is my final um, inventions thing. Um, I like that people were really frightened of bicycles, quite anti-bicycles, um, when they first came in from, from like the 1860s onwards, I guess. And doctors warned about things like bicycle hernia, Bicycle, bicycle, uh, cyclist neurosis, cyclist sore throat, and bicycle face. And bi- <laughs> does that mean someone on a bicycle rides into your face? <laughs> you would have thought, but actually, it meant that you're going to have such a constant look of stress on your face from having to balance your bike that it's going to get stuck like that, and you're going to be permanently like, twisted. Like looking. getting square eyes from watching. TV exactly. Kind of thing. Um, just going back to uh, Bumper Harris, so it was slightly controversial when we first read about this quite a few years ago. In yeah. the um, Matt Coward, who's one of the QI researchers, reckons that it might be a myth because he couldn't find any evidence, um, contemporaneous uh, news reports mentioning Bumper Harris. Yeah. Um, so I think I think there are news reports from the time, but they yeah. don't give evidence as to like who he was, where you could find him. Like they don't have evidence from the transport. Because um, you would secretary. think that it would be the kind of thing they would mention. They would have recorded. Well, yeah, I feel like we disagree on this, but maybe I like to believe in room. So it was it was recorded from the early 1920s, and there is a guy who says that he's Bumper Harris's great grandson, who's called Aaron, who can give like who gives anecdotal evidence about how he he apparently retired. So he says um, he eventually retired to make cider violins and become a watercolor artist. Um, so with that kind of personal detail. James I don't know how you can thwart this story I would love to know if anyone like listening by any chance knows anyone who claims to be related to Bumper Harris I would love to know if it is true yeah um, so get in touch okay that's it for another episode that's all our facts thanks so much for listening uh, if you want to get in contact with any of us about what we've said you can get us on Twitter I'm on at Schreiberland James I am at Eggshaped Alex I'm at Alex Bell underscore and uh, Anna still not on Twitter, but uh, we almost we almost made her buckle last week. But in the meantime, you can get her on at Wikipedia. Otherwise, you can check out the incredible page that she and Alex put together on the QI website called qi.com/podcast, in which we're going to have videos of men punching boys on travelators. Uh, we're going to have all sorts of other pictures and links to the stories that we were talking about. Uh, so please uh, tune in again next week and uh, tell your friends. All right, bye.